Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. When you are preaching to your own people, the preaching has to come out of those shared experiences of being with people so that when you're wrestling with the gospel, the scripture readings, and how is it challenging me? I'm also trying to think to myself, yeah, it's not how it's challenging me, but how is it challenging the people in my parish? And am I making sure that I always have my finger on the pulse of what they're experiencing too? So that image of walking together, being together, is so, so critical. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa and associate editor at America Media in New York, also associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we're speaking with Anthony Andreasi. Anthony is an Oratorian priest at the Brooklyn Oratory in New York City. Welcome to Preach, Anthony. Thank you, Ricardo. It's lovely to be with you today. It's so good to have you. Let me say a little bit about you. You've given us a bio line, which is very brief. So let me just say a little bit about you, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself with our audience before we get going. You hold a doctorate in history from Georgetown with a concentration on American Catholicism, so well-suited to this podcast. And you're the author of Teach Me to Be Generous, a history of Regis High School in New York City, and that was published in 2014. And you taught there for a number of years, right? And you were principal at the school as well? That's right. I was there for a total of 19 years, and the last four were as principal. But before Regis, you've worked in high schools for a number of years. That's right. I was actually, although I'm not a Jesuit, I've been blessed to work in two other Jesuit high schools, Gonzaga in Washington, D.C., and then Xavier, obviously the high school right next to where you live and work as a priest. So. Oh, wow. Wonderful. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That makes this even more special. It's a great school. You're now working for the Pontifical Mission Societies, or the Propagation of the Faith. I just started it with Propagation of the Faith Pontifical Mission just about a month ago. So Wonderful. We'll get into that certainly after the homily. I'd love to hear a little more about it. But you shared a childhood fear with us, and I think it's apropos for this podcast. So why don't you tell us what that is? Well, you know when you're a kid and you have those nightmares about taking a test you're not prepared for, and they tend to recur? Well, for many years... I would have a nightmare that I would have to give a homily and I was totally unprepared. And then actually, probably, if I might say so with some humility, one of the best homilies I ever gave is when that exactly happened. Wow. One Sunday morning, another priest had the nine o'clock mass and at 8.45, I was still in the shower and he was sick and I had to celebrate the nine o'clock mass. So I had to get into the pulpit. And sometimes I don't recommend not preparing your homilies, but every once in a while, when you're totally unprepared, you just get to say a couple of really cute little things 
and your congregational audience leaves with a smile on their face. So that's where my nightmare actually took place. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Anthony, you're preaching on the readings for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, and that's a gospel taken from St. Matthew. Why don't you tell us about this gospel and specifically why you've chosen to focus on this? You know, this gospel is where Matthew 22, so we're, we're kind of getting to the end of the gospel. And this is the one that even those who are maybe not that church may know this one about Jesus holding a coin, a Roman coin, and saying, what's the significance? And should Jews pay tax? Should they use the coin? Should they not? And the final line has, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. I think it's probably made its way into our lexicon as an expression that is sometimes used. The first reading, which is from Isaiah, talks about this Persian king named Cyrus, who through a whole series of strange events actually helped to rescue the, the Jewish people to return to their homeland. So these two things about rulers and people of faith, obviously the first reading in the gospel are thematically chosen. So those fit together. And then the second reading from Paul, which I actually don't touch on. I'm very conscious of how long I'm speaking and you just can't do everything, but it's just the opening of the letter to Thessalonians about Paul thanking them and telling them how much their faith strengthens his. Wonderful. And you're an Oratorian priest, and you're based at the Oratory in Brooklyn. Tell me a little bit about that community, knowing that this is the usual community where you would preach. Absolutely. So the Oratory itself is a community of priests and brothers. It goes back, actually, the founder, St. Philip Neri, was a friend of St. Ignatius. We have a lovely image of Ignatius and Philip in our living room. And when a man enters an Oratory, he remains there for the rest of his life. So we have a small community in, in Brooklyn, and we administer two parishes, one in what is kind of now called downtown Brooklyn, which is a vibrant neighborhood with more and more skyscrapers, and then a parish in Brooklyn Heights, Brooklyn Heights is, I think, America's first historic district. So there's no building going on there, but a very well-settled community of people of many years. And the priests in our house, we go back and forth between the two parishes. I would say the community is somewhat diverse, generally very well-educated, and particularly at St. Boniface, one of the two churches, it's very much an intentional parish where people will come from other neighborhoods, which Ricardo, as you know, Xavier is very much the same way. So kind of an intentional parish. Anthony, I'm excited to hear what you have prepared for us in your homily. The virtual pulpit is yours. We will now hear Anthony Andreasi's homily for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. This morning, the Church presents us with two major themes upon which to reflect. First, today we celebrate World Mission Sunday, which, as you may know, comes each year as a way for Catholics everywhere to recommit ourselves to pray for and support the spread of the gospel to every corner of the world. Secondly, of course, that like at every Mass, we have the Scripture readings. Let me begin with the latter theme, and let me say that I'm very glad that we're getting these readings in October of this year and not October of 2024. Now, why? Well, the reading from Isaiah, as well as the text from St. Mark's Gospel, both touch on the relationship between the state and people of faith. And this time next year, we'll be just a couple of weeks away from Election Day. 
So at least I and many other priests and deacons here in the U.S. will not have to navigate this very thorny topic from the pulpit just on the eve of national elections. But then again, maybe that's too bad, or maybe it's a missed opportunity. As followers of Jesus, central to our baptismal call is to bring Christ to all the world, especially to lands who have yet to hear the gospel. And our baptism also calls us to bring our faith rooted in these gospel values, to engage even to challenge not only our lives, but also every part of our culture and society. This surely is not easy to do in our own day, and it was not easy in the time of Jesus. In fact, today's gospel passage gives us a very strong example, a good example, of how challenging this was even for Jesus when he was questioned as to how Jews were supposed to relate to the Roman state. So why not begin here? What's all this about Caesar, a census tax, and a Roman coin? Well, the coin the Herodians showed Jesus displayed not only an image of the emperor, but it also said that he was divine. The very sight of such a coin would have upset most every pious and observant Jew. And Jesus' response certainly would not have satisfied most, if any, of them. In some ways, his response seems to take the side of those who just want to, you might say, go along to get along. When he says that you need to just satisfy the government with what it asks for, pay some taxes, but then also be faithful to the commandments of the Lord. But can life really be separated in that way, in that what we do in our day-to-day lives in the secular world is really separate from our lives as Christian? I think we all would agree that the answer to that is a hard no. Well then, does that mean that Jesus' response is telling us that to avoid anything that goes against our faith, that we should have nothing to do with the secular world and just retreat into our own private universe? Well, I think both the long tradition of the church as well as our own good sense tells us that that doesn't make sense either. Well then, well, what's the answer? How are we as Christians supposed to live out our faith in the secular world, which honestly at times and across time and space can sometimes be hostile to the values of the gospel? Clearly, this is very complicated, complex stuff. And surely, and maybe sadly, The Lord did not give us a detailed plan as to how we and all those who have gone before us should handle every complex political question that faces us as believers. But fear not, I think I might have an answer. And it might be found in a phrase that we sometimes hear at Mass. In the third Eucharistic prayer, right after the consecration of the bread and wine, the priest celebrant prays, Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth. And the key word here is pilgrim. Now, of course, the real meaning of a pilgrim is a person on a journey towards some sort of destination, maybe a sacred or a holy place. And if you're always on your way, then you don't have any fixed home. In other words, you can call no place, no ideology, no political party, completely your own, because ultimately you belong to someone else. Or better said, we might say we belong to someone else, namely Christ. It is in this relationship and the demands that this relationship with the Lord places upon us 
that should have absolute authority over us. And I would venture to say that if while over the ages one political party or another has seemingly reflected the values of the gospel better than another, both in our own country and every other country that's ever existed, none has ever done this perfectly and none ever will. Each will miss the mark in one way or another. As Catholics, we should always find ourselves a bit uneasy whenever we make our home, our temporary home, with this political party or that one. We should never settle in too comfortably because we are always really moving on our way to someplace else or really to someone else. And I think this image of the pilgrim works well too as we celebrate World Mission Sunday. Just like a pilgrim, a missionary is a person on the move as she or he works to spread the kingdom of God by inviting other people to come to know Jesus. More than two centuries ago, four more than two centuries, and again this year, the work of the propagation of the faith invites us, invites the whole church to support the over 1,000 mission dioceses in Africa, Asia, the Pacific Islands, and parts of Latin America and Europe, where priests, religious, and lay leaders serve the world's most vulnerable communities. It is important to remember that until the earlier 20th century, the church here in the United States was the recipient of help from the church in other lands, since back then we were still young, growing, and vulnerable. But now it is our turn to reach out to support others so that this important work of evangelization can continue. As we continue to make our pilgrim way here on earth, let us also remember to invite others to make this journey to meet Christ, as we also do our best to help one another along the way. That was Anthony Andreasi for Preach. When we come back, we explore how the image of a pilgrim raised in Anthony's homily can also help us preach in a synodal way. Welcome back to Preach, Anthony. I wonder if we can maybe just start. This is one of the, I think, most vexing for some, most riddlesome for others, but it's certainly a difficult passage to understand and to really come to grips with. I think you've made that very clear. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you approach pithy statements like we have in this particular gospel and make sense of them for people. Yeah, I mean, as I said early on in the homily, to address the question of faith and politics is enormously complicated and fraught and very fraught. And sometimes a homily, which is by definition a monologue, is not the best place to do it. And whenever I've really had to address, you know, you don't want to run away from readings like this, just kind of not appropriate. I try to put out there like, this is tough. We know this is tough. And it doesn't mean that we can't say anything about it, but I think we kind of have to work together to come find where we should be moving towards that. Even though I know my community where I'm preaching very well, and I think there's a lot of trust between us, especially when you might be wrestling with a particularly difficult topic. And I'm imagining that your own background in history with a passage like this really helps you. In terms of preaching, 
I've certainly run away from history a lot of the time because I found history a difficult subject. But in terms of preaching, what are the sources that you turn to, historical sources or otherwise, to try to make sense of passages like this one, right? The significance of the Roman coin and what was inscribed on it and basic historical facts that maybe people would not have had a sense about. Obviously, when you first approach the readings, I want to make sure that I'm understanding them and with some sort of solid biblical foundation. And actually, there's a couple of online websites. You might know the St. Louis University has that kind of great little liturgical. I mean, it's just so handy, the things they put there. So I'll go there. Obviously, I have a couple of texts that I have on my shelf that I can put out. But sometimes when you're on the road, you need something that's digital. Actually, I have been saving all my homilies since I was ordained, which is about 16 years ago. It's interesting enough, rarely do I ever recycle them because oftentimes three or six years later, you say, you know, I don't think I'd come at it that same way. There's one resource I really love, and I don't think I've given it a shout out yet on Preach, but I definitely want to do this today. Workingpreacher.org from Luther Seminary, St. Paul, Minnesota. They just have incredible resources. So not only do they have a catalog of resources going back for a long time, but every week they also release a podcast where they actually reflect specifically on the readings. And you have three scripture scholars kind of unpacking them. And I always find there's a bit of insight there. So yeah, definitely digital resources have been a great help to me in my first few years as a priest. I'm sure that there are many, many more, but these are just two that come to mind for us at this time. Let's look at your homily. You've been a teacher for a long time. <laughs> so take us through your homily as you would a classroom in front of you, right? You had the full text. You know, you read pretty much from the text in front of you. Not every preacher does that. Some shy away from that. Talk us through your own process. A friend of mine who's been a priest 50 years, who I have enormous respect for, he does not use a text and he's an outstanding preacher. I just don't have, to be honest, when I'm standing in front of a group of people, I get a little nervous and it is very helpful for me to just have the text there. Weekday homilies, I can do it. I don't know why. I think the stakes are lower. I just have one simple idea on a weekday homily. But yeah, no, I, I write it out almost like an essay, but then I go back and I really try to carve it up in a way where, because we don't speak in paragraphs. I mean, we think logically mostly, but we don't speak in paragraphs. We don't speak in long sentences. So I write it out and then I try to go back and chop it up. You know, I know Pope Francis has said on multiple times, something like 10 minutes or less. I'm a big believer in that. And if I could just tell a little anecdote, Cardinal Newman, who was the great oratorian of the 19th century, when he was preaching at the Birmingham Oratory, he would put a kid in the choir loft with a watch and a bell. And I can't find how long Newman said the sermon should be, but when that priest reached a certain, the kid rang a bell, and that was time to cut it. Wow. In terms of the structure, how you built it, it seems that you've really been conscientious about the structure and where it's going and what ties together. I think, you know, the first 30 seconds is critical and the hook is so important. I usually try to begin with something humorous or thought-provoking. I didn't have a personal anecdote. I think that my feeling on personal anecdotes or what we might call the wind-up, I listened to a, one of the earlier preach podcasts, I think with the priest talking about going to a baseball game. So I know you're, that image has been used here before. The wind-up, uh, you have to be careful that your wind-up is not too long. And I look back to my homilies in my early years and I look back, I'm like, I cannot believe it took me three and a half minutes to get to what I was about to talk about. So now I'm much more sensitive to getting 
into it by the end of the first page. So you've set this up with the hook. What happened next? How did you structure your homily beyond that? So again, and I just heard this, I think I was reading something or talking about a friend of mine went to a preaching conference and shared a little nugget that has been staying with me the last couple of weeks. Just because you have a good hook, which is great, you need to keep the audience, the congregation engaged throughout. So I really try not to, if I have to give a little like history, and I'm someone who loves history, but I know other people do not. So, you know, I think I spent three or four sentences about what did coins mean in first century Palestine. My feeling about that is a little history goes a long way. A little, when you share the scripture scholarship, you almost open, how would you say, open the engine. Don't keep it open that long. And the reality is most people, when when they're listening to a homily, a sermon, their gut is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's my takeaway? So that's something that I try to keep going throughout the homily. Put in something of some meat, but then try to bring it back to what's in it for me? Where is the rubber hitting the road? Yeah, and I think that really ties into that point that you make, right? Beyond the historical and biblical analysis, you then move to this idea of, okay, but let's look at the readings and what else is in the readings. And beyond the readings, let's look at what we are praying, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so bringing in the rest of the Mass into the homily. And so you talk about this idea of the pilgrim way, being on a pilgrimage. Let's talk about that. How did this idea of the pilgrim come about for you? Yeah, you know, I had some notes from a previous year that I preached on this, and I can't remember where I got that idea of the pilgrim, but I thought it was a good sort of second image That phrase in the third Eucharistic prayer happens to be one of my favorite phrases in all of the Eucharistic prayers, Mm -hmm. this idea of the church on a pilgrimage moving. And obviously that's so much at the heart of what Pope Francis talks about, not being stayed in one place, uh, not being tied to any one thing in particular. And all of us are moving our way through life. And then at some point in the last couple of days, like, oh, wow, that kind of works well with the missionary too. And I think this idea of the pilgrimage is a good one in terms of a homiletic approach, thinking about what do we leave people with for their journey? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When we finish the homily, what is it that they're going to pilgrim with for the week? Yes. Let's look at that second part. You know, we come to these themed weeks in the church's liturgical calendar, either it's a diocesan event or it's something which is broader, like Pontifical Mission Sunday. Tell us briefly, what is the Pontifical Mission Societies? Absolutely. It's funny, whenever I've told friends, Catholics, parishioners, even those north of age 60, sometimes when I tell them whom I'm working for, they think I'm working for the doctrine of the faith or the holy office. So I tease them and say, oh, the holy office doesn't have branch offices around the world. No, the propagation of the faith obviously goes back a couple of centuries. And really what it does is it tries to raise the consciousness in the life of the whole church about the church where it's still young and growing. So and obviously in our day and age, the phrase that we often talk about is the emerging church in the global South. So trying to not only pray for that church, but be of, of material, of useful support. And the vast majority of these, of course, are in Africa and in Asia. Wonderful. Excuse my ignorance. When I hear propagation of the faith, it's like, we're going to go out and proselytize, right? Right. And so what is the balance, and I think it's clearly the balance, between evangelization and proselytization, right? We're not out there simply to convert people and Christianity is the only way, but what are we trying to do and how do we communicate that? 
Absolutely. This past summer in our parish in Brooklyn, we happened to have two priests from Pakistan. They were Dominican priests from Pakistan who are native Pakistani. The missions in Pakistan were founded by American Dominicans, but there aren't any left. It's all now in the hands of indigenous people. And one of the priests is a pastor in a rural area with a lot of Dalits, so people who are on the lowest caste. And he said they ran a school. They ran a K through eight school. He said most of the kids in that school were Dalits. And if it wasn't for this Catholic school, there would be practically no education for them. Now, there were some Catholic kids in the school, and he said some kids actually do become Catholic after seeing the example of the, there are Dominican sisters there too. So that to me is a kind of a, a living example of the church's mission, educating children, which is at the heart of what we do in so many ways. And we do that. It was something I remember Cardinal Hickey of Washington decades ago saying, why do we run Catholic schools in neighborhoods where there are no Catholics? And they, he said, because we do it because we're Catholic, not necessarily because they're Catholic, it's because we're Catholic. So we provide an education and maybe the example of our faith. We teach the faith to those kids. Some of them will want to. You know, and this Dominican made it very clear. And you can imagine the situation in Pakistan, India, any kind of proselytization could have very dire results for the priests, for the sisters. So there's no hint of that. But it's the witness of the faith, mm -hmm. the living faith, where some people will come to know Jesus. So people are contributing precisely for that reason, that others may come to know Jesus through the work that Catholics are doing around the world, but not necessarily doing it only for Catholics and to bring people into the Catholic Church, but because we are Catholic. Absolutely. What are we trying to convey, especially in the developed world, about this particular Sunday that we want to leave congregations with, that we want them to take away? Yeah, so, I mean, the Pontifical Missions, Propagation of the Faith, interestingly enough, the whole organization goes back to a layperson in France in the early 19th century who really wanted to reach out to the church in China, which at that point was a new and growing church. And by definition, the gospel should be spread. And I like a phrase of a theologian who says, could ask people to consider Jesus. Would you consider Jesus? Consider this person, consider his story consider his message. And honestly, here in the church in the United States, and we've been talking about this here on Pontifical Missions in some ways, we here in, in this country are going through a particularly challenging period where so much of what was done in the last century or so is actually starting to close down and retrench. And when you're going through a period of retrenchment, of diminishment, sometimes the attitude can be to just look into oneself, withdraw, look inward. And actually, that may be the perfect time to remember to look outward to the needs of others, to the wider world. I mean, we even see that in ourselves. And sometimes if we're having a lousy day, you know, we want to crawl up on the couch or under a blanket and maybe retreat into Netflix or a bag of Oreo cookies. That's the exact time we actually should be going out to others. I want to go back to this idea of the pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. You've connected it to Pope Francis and the way of the church. This is also the month where 365 people are meeting in Rome at the Synod on Synodality, thinking about the future of the church in this idea of pilgrimage, walking together. How do you think the work of the Pontifical Mission Society, but also the work of the preacher, especially at this time, connects with the message of synodality? Our focus on preach is preaching for a more synodal church. How do we preach for a more synodal church in the context of this Sunday? 
Well, two things. I know Monsignor Harrington, who's the head of Pontigua Mission in the United States, he's not one of the participants in the Synod, but he'll be there in two weeks. He and Cardo Tagle are going to have a gathering at the Urban College for people who are participants. Obviously, the month of the mission said that the church in the developing world is part of this journeying together. And in some ways, since the church in the developing world is vulnerable, wherever there's something in our world that's vulnerable, that becomes the heart of what we should be about. And I guess in terms of the preacher, it's always hard, and I'm sure you'll agree, Ricardo, whenever you're asked to preach to a congregation that you don't personally know, it can be an intimidating thing because you just don't know what their stories are, what their experiences are. You sometimes try to do a little homework to make sure you know. But when you are preaching to your own people, the preaching has to come out of those shared experiences of being with people so that when you're wrestling with the gospel, the scripture readings, and how is it challenging me? I'm also trying to think to myself, yeah, it's not how it's challenging me, but how is it challenging the people in my parish? And am I making sure that I always have my finger on the pulse of what they're experiencing too? So that image of walking together, being together is so, so critical. Wonderful. Anthony, it has been a great privilege. Thank you so much for coming on Preach. Thank you. It was a great way to spend an afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Kevin Christopher Robles and Michael O'Brien provided production assistance. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. And we recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And finally, before we go, I just want to remind you about America Media's digital subscription and what that gets you. In this month of the Synod, we have five members of our staff on the ground in Rome covering the Synod on Synodality bringing you live coverage as it's happening, but also bringing you a daily reflection of their experience on the ground and how it's affecting their own faith experience. And so if you want to read their daily reflections, plus daily scripture reflections from the America staff and contributors, we invite you to subscribe today for just a dollar in this first month of the Synod and thereafter $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach for America Media. I'm Ricardo de Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into Scripture? 
If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.